This is The Good Life. I'm Dean Wilson. We have a great guest today, Dr. Scott Lasea, the campus pastor at Westmont College is with us. You'll laugh, you'll cry, you'll love him. The Good Life is next. So glad you've joined us. I have Dr. Scott Lasea here with me today. Scott, welcome. Hey, thanks. Good to see you again. Scott's uh, friend and is the campus pastor at Westmont. In addition to being the assistant to the president for community and church relations. You got it. Did I get yeah. that right? Yeah, we tried to get a longer title. Yeah. <laughs> well, the cards are too short. Right. Well, that's that's uh, yeah. I can't believe I got that right. Uh, let's tell me a little about just kind of your upbringing and where you were born, raised, your neighborhood, your parents. Yeah. Tell me about that. I was raised by wolves <laughs> out in the wild. Yeah. <laughs> That's no one surprised by that. Right. Yeah. Uh, actually raised most of my whole life up in Santa Cruz. My folks split when I was about four. And uh, so my mom moved my sister and I to Santa Cruz with her. And so full on grew up in Santa Cruz in the 70s, and it was everything you might you imagine. I still remember my mom throwing an actual legit toga party and uh, really? rented out our garage to some surfboard shapers. So I can still get nostalgic at the smell of fiberglass. And uh, I think maybe <laughs> did some damage to my brain, sure. But uh, <laughs> yeah, so grew up uh, with a single mom for some years, and then she remarried to my stepdad. and. Um, lots of freedom and uh, no discipline yeah, growing up in Santa Cruz. Huh. Yeah. And well, how, how did your relationship with your dad change after the split or what do you remember? Yeah. How did that impact your life? Yeah. Well, that's a good question. Um, actually, there's about a year in my life I have no memories of uh, from that traumatic, you know, oh, really? four years old. Yeah. And apparently lived with my aunt for a while. And then there'd be years at a time without my dad. Uh, in the picture at all, um, largely use alcoholism. But then some fun summer months where I'd go and spend the summer with him wherever he was, and and those were great. But I think it, um, I think that had a pretty big impact on what I'd end up doing with the rest of my life. Uh, hmm. Was kind of having a heart. Talk about yeah, talk about that. Yeah, having a heart for uh, the fatherless a lot of times. Yeah. Wow. Talk about meeting the Lord. I know there's a story <laughs> about a donut shop. That's it. I've heard, I've never heard you tell it, but yeah. I'd love to hear you tell it. Well, I was 15 and a half, and somehow it dawned on me that I did not know who God was. And I thought, I think you're supposed to know this. Uh, and so I asked everybody I knew. I asked my parents. I kind of grew up in this hippy-dippy kind of uh, Eastern religion, kind of Santa Cruz, everything goes thing. Um, I drove a Jewish friend to school each day. I worked at a a pizza place with a Mormon girl. I just asked everybody I knew what they thought. And at the end of it, I was like, I have not heard anything that feels like truth. It sounds like legit. I can't believe any of that. And, huh. uh, and so I was, I had made a career change from the pizza joint now to Winchell's Donuts on 41st <laughs> Avenue in Capitola. And I was making donuts one night and they weren't coming out good. And that was sort of the, the straw. And so I threw the donut sticks against the wall and said, God, that's it. If you're out there, you come get me. I'm done trying to find you. Really? And uh, the next day, I'm not even kidding, the next day, I had a new boss at work, and she starts telling me about Jesus. And afraid she didn't do it very well, uh, semi-offensive, but I knew she was saying stuff that just felt like truth. And so I, 
I was having a physical reaction to the gospel where I couldn't stop smiling. So I'm, I'm covering my mouth the whole time. Really? And asking her follow-up questions. And uh, I took another probably six months of reading the Bible for the first time. I'd get off work at 1130 at night and go knock on her door and ask her more questions. And really? finally on August 8th, 1982, I, was, I knew I was just being stubborn at that point. And I was again alone at work, the donut shop got down on my knees and on the tile and said, Jesus, uh, I want you. I want it all. I want, I want to follow you. Here's everything. And uh, it wasn't emotional at all, but it was pretty sincere. It was very sincere. That was the moment. Yeah, that was it. Yeah. Wow. And you smile a lot still. <laughs> I think the Holy Spirit stuck smile. it on smile. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> That's not a bad thing. <laughs> I, I was one of my mentors one time said, Dean, smile and make them wonder what you're up to. You know, I think we need to smile. I've had a lot of people ask that about me. What am I? Why you smile? Oh, no, yeah, wondering what I'm up to. (laughs) Yeah, 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 that's good. And then from so from there, when did you meet your wife? Oh well, so we grew up, you know, pretty poor, and no discipline in the in the house whatsoever. So I, right around the time I'm meeting Christ, I decide I want to I wonder what discipline's like. So I become a Navy Sea Cadet and join the wrestling team. And, uh, and I figured my ticket out is I'm going to go to Annapolis. And so I'm getting ready to do that. Then I give my life to the Lord, join Young Life, join this great church. And my Young Life leader and my youth pastor both went to Westmont College. And my Young Life leader says, you ought to go check out Westmont. And uh, so I came down on one of these weekends with another buddy and checked it out. And just shy of an audible voice, the Lord is like, I have a different plan for you. And so came to Westmont, and during that first week of orientation, I was uh, in this leadership program. I was walking down to the first meeting of the year of this leadership program, and uh, met Jamie McEwen in the in the lobby of Page Hall, and said, "Anybody else going to this meeting?" And this beautiful girl in tight jeans and a red sweater said, "I am." And I said, "Thank you, Jesus." And that was it. <laughs> we got lost on our way to, to Dean Chapel, and that <laughs> was just it. hard to and do. The hunt was on. Yeah. <laughs> wow. And so you've been you've been married thir- thirty years. Thirty years. Yeah. Tell us about your kids. I got three sons, and uh, my sister's boy, uh, my nephew, who we've we've helped raise as well. So a lot, lot of lot of men. Yeah. <laughs> I was changing the painting over the mantle the other night, and uh, noticed that there was blood on the wall. And I thought, Good Lord, what are these guys doing when I'm not here? <laughs> but uh, so my nephew is is Brandon, and he's got his okay. uh, first son, Dylan Scalasea. And uh, my oldest boy, Tyler, is married to Brittany, and uh, he's uh, in town here and okay. looking to going to law school next year. Reed is uh, here living with us, graduated from APU with a film degree. And uh, Braden's our youngest. He's a junior at Westmont. Okay. Yeah. I was reading, kind of tracking your career. You were a Young Life leader here, area director, and then went on to Oaks Christian and came back to Providence and now Westmont. Yeah. But talk about the Young Life years and, and talk about yeah. there's a there's a special needs component to that called yeah. Capernaum. That yeah. Yeah. I'd love you to talk about how that all happened. Yeah. So when I graduated Westmont, I actually went down to Escondido, North San Diego County, for 10 years and became the area director of North San Diego County and was coaching football and working with kids on the Native American uh, reservation down there and um, kids in this great blue-collar town and a lot of Latino kids and every kind of kid. It was, it was great, great years. And during those years, we kept going to summer camp 
and meeting up at the same time as this area from San Jose that had these kids with disabilities. And pretty soon, I would start to call my buddy Nick up there and coordinate when he was going to camp so that I could bring my football players at the same time because oh. it was transformative for them to watch these kids go through camp and be a part of helping them get through the ropes course or whatever. And somehow the kingdom was explained to them in ways and that I think they saw it in different ways just being around them. So I think the Lord always had that on my heart. And then after 10 years uh, there, came to Santa Barbara to be the regional director for Central California. And in the first year, um, I just kind of had a wild experience uh, from the Lord, frankly, that kind of led to starting the club uh, here within the first year or two. Uh, So it goes back to while dating Jamie at Westmont, we go to a uh, movie at Victoria Victoria Theater. Um, It's the Mother Teresa documentary romantic date for sure (laughs) and there's a scene in there where she's going bed to bed in this refugee camp picking up these kids all sorts of deformities and she's just rubbing them and holding them and squeezing them and kind of telling them they're beautiful so I had that scene in my mind fast forward years and years later I have this dream and in the dream it's like a point of view I'm Mother Teresa going bed to bed and hugging kids and telling them they're children of God and they're beloved and and that was a neat dream Well, then as a regional director, I take a couple of friends to India, uh, a couple of guys, supporters, and we go and we're doing Young Life stuff there, training Young Life leaders, and then we go into a Mother Teresa home, uh, and we walk into this room. This nun's going to give us a tour. We walk into this room. The nun disappears. There's no tour. There's just the scene out of my dream. Really? It is wall-to-wall cribs and beds with children, with all sorts of things we don't see here. And you could hear the air leave our lungs. Uh, our wives are not with us. I got, I got four men. And in a second, I was like, guys, here's what we're doing. We're going to go bed to bed, crib to crib. We're going to pick up these kids. We're going to squeeze them, love them, bless them, tell them who they are. And I can't remember if that was an hour, if that was two hours, if that was 10. I don't know. It was just this moment in all wow. of our lives. Came home, was like, that's it. <laughs> Found a Westmont grad that wanted to go to San Francisco and work with inner city kids. And I said, how about if you stay here and help us start a ministry with disability, with kids with disabilities? And she said, she was courageous and said, yes. We didn't know any kids. I went to Santa Barbara High where I was coaching football at the time and uh, found out we had a classroom there with kids with disabilities. and met Robbie and started picking up Robbie and taking him out to lunch and that's a whole nother wow. story. <laughs> Where's Robbie now? Um, he's He works, he lives in town, he works at Kyle's Kitchen. Oh he um, does? Yeah. But Robbie is great. I pick him up to go to lunch and we cruise Milpas and he'd hang his head out the window and at all the girls he'd scream woo woo and all the guys he'd scream out <laughs> dork. And I thought, Robbie, you're gonna get us killed, man. Um, and then we'd eat burgers, and then I'd take him back to the school. We'd play wiffle ball for a little bit, and I'd get him back to his classroom. And wow. I remember at one point doing this, and I was real busy and feeling very self-important as a regional director. And I was thinking, God, is this a waste of my time? Like, is anything getting through uh, in this moment? And I just felt in the spirit a two by four across the, the head that says, "Don't, don't you worry about." me communicating myself um, Mm. pay attention and that led to uh, about millions and millions of lessons that I've actually learned from these kids with disabilities 
yeah, it's yeah. Changed, changed my life. For That's sure. incredible. Yeah. It, it is, I was talking to somebody else about this, but we have a special needs daughter and, and you know, um, it's a perspective changer, you know, and I think yeah. the gift of perspective is something, um, and, and what we can learn is incredible. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, the simplicity, the purity, there's so much there, isn't there? Yeah. Yeah, there is. I, sometimes it's subtle things. Uh, I'm driving down State Street one time and look over at the bus stop and there's five of our students and so I pull over and say, what are you guys doing? And Jessica hollers out, you know, Nick's got a doctor's appointment. And I'm thinking, okay, She's like, we're going with him. <laughs> and I'm just hit I with this fact it. where I go, I love do it. I go to doctor's appointments with my friends because they might be nervous? I mean, right. it's, you know, profound. And that is so two beautiful. other things, I was speaking at a camp, we, Young Life now does some of these weeks where it's just with students with disabilities and uh, get sort of tailored the program uh, to slow some things down and, and make it fit. And, and one time I'm speaking at camp and there's a, a young lady there, with pretty profound form of autism and no eye contact, nonverbal, lots of tics. And I'm greeting her each time, hi Corin, you know, how are you, but nothing coming back. And again, tempted to have that feeling, like, is anything getting through? Three or four days in the camp, Corin and her aide are walking toward me. And the aide says, Corin would like to talk to you. And I said, what? And she had this machine that she could type into. So she had already typed out a message to me with one finger, and she hit play. And out came the most beautiful impactful encouragement I think I've ever received Isn't I mean that? she was blessing me in the in the work we were doing and oh uh, so gosh. that started a friendship I got to see corn about three summers <clears throat> in a row and lots of Facebook messages in between and got to know more of her story and she's an amazing woman yeah uh, I asked her at one point I said corn have you always known God and she goes oh I've always known God I didn't know his name was Jesus till I was about five and he told me but he, he tells me every day that I'm his beloved daughter. I'm like, I think I have some things to learn from Corey. Yeah, I was going to say, who's the special needs <laughs> yeah, again? Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> That's yeah. amazing. Well, we, we've been so impacted by our experience. And, but, uh, so Capernaum is, it meets every other week? Is that? Yeah, I mean, it's all over the world now. My buddy Nick Palermo up in San Jose is the guy that started it. And okay. it's just exploded in the mission of Young Life. And... Um, and in Santa Barbara, it meets uh, about every other week. Uh, usually in my garage, we turn into a club room because I can hit the garage door, door rolls up and chairs roll in and uh, right. we have a great time in there. Wow. Yeah. That's beautiful. Your, your journey with Young Life and Oaks Christian and Providence, what stood out about that journey in each place or what's mm. kind of, what's something you've taken along the road here? Yeah. Well, I wasn't smart enough to plan any of it. Um, have felt very led uh, each step of the way, mostly in hindsight. Um, I think my, my, those first 10 years was all about just doing the work, uh, beautiful work of giving yourself to kids' lives and investing in other people that were doing it and building teams that kind of mission communities, people that were doing something and, you know, it wasn't just constipated with Bible study. We were actually doing mission together. Yeah. And that, that group of people 
tended to stay because it was so life-giving. Right. That taught me a lot. So then when we came up here as regional directors, Jamie and I had a real passion to train people to build teams that would do that. And so that led to a lot of training. We led this thing called the experience uh, for about 15 years. And that sent uh, hundreds of people into leadership. And that was really rewarding. Wow. Somewhere through the end of that, I started studying again and um, was getting my doctorate at, at Fuller. And this opportunity at Oaks Christian came across my uh, windshield. Three different people sent it to me within about a week. And I had this experience of saying, wow, I think I'm supposed to go do this. And went through quite a rigorous uh, interview process to get that role. But it was a, a joy for me, again, to be in a community where I was going to see people a couple days, you know, day after day, not just once in a while. Right. And be in students' lives and with faculty and administrators. Yeah. I accidentally ended up as the head of school. That led to an offer to come to be the head of school here. Providence in town, they were they had just merged a couple of schools and wanted their first head. Um, so I had the privilege of doing that for a few years. And then this opportunity at Westmont came up. And for me, again, it's I can do a lot of different things, but I really wanted to invest in students and send the next wave of leaders. Um, that That's kind of becoming very clear to me that that's, that's what makes me tick. So Yeah. Um, sending leaders. Yeah, yeah. I was just going to ask you when, what what's your vision? I mean, in terms of your role with, I know that you have a role with Westmont community as a whole, mm -hmm. but specifically the students. Yeah. I mean, what do you want to see, or what's your dream, your vision for what can happen while they're up yeah. there before they're yeah. sent out? Well, so much. Uh, I mean. You know, I know you had a great experience. I had I a phenomenal experience up there as a student. And I, I tasted what a Christian community looked like, and not a romantic one, like a real one. Right. I have lifetime friends, brothers that I still walk with to this day. I was exposed to mission opportunities, ministry opportunities there, and put in places of leadership that I didn't, wasn't ready for yet. And that's kind of how Jesus did it with his guys. It's like, <laughs> you guys don't know Jack, uh, go out and do a mission and come right. back and tell me about it. You right. know, Ready, fire, and aim. Exactly. Yeah. And so I, I think all that stuff that I experienced, I want to be a part of that uh, yeah. here. So it's a privilege. I get to do pastoral counseling and, and come alongside students and cheer them on. But I also want to launch them that they leave this place as real Jesus people, that they'd be really yeah. clear about him and the Gospels and go and, and lead teams of people into Jesus kind of stuff wherever they are. Yeah. Do you like to preach? I do. Yeah. I do. Yeah. What has been your, like this year, what has been your theme or what are some yeah. things you've been talking about? Well, it's the first time I've ever done it like this since in having this gig where I think, oh, wow, okay, I've got, you know, a series of 18 if I want to do a series. So last year I did a whole series on uh, Psalm 23. I stretched six verses into about 18 messages. <laughs> and uh, and this year, and but that came out of a place where it's like I, I was aware that students deal with so much anxiety and yeah. depression. I really wanted them to be able to say with David, the Lord is my shepherd. I lack nothing. Yeah. So we, we you know, we did that. This year, um, really on my heart is this John 17. The, I'm calling it the Lord's Lord's Prayer for his, his beloved community. And just looking at what does Jesus want for his community? Hmm. And uh, so much in there. And the thing that keeps resonating is this idea of oneness. And that's where I go. The, the Christian community is a wild deal. A bunch of people that don't belong in the same room are right. family. And it's right. messy. 
and complicated, but right. somehow his vision. And so I just want us to lean hard into figuring that out. That's wonderful. Yeah, I'm growing in it anyway. And how did, you know, I, that leads me to another question, but I want to insert another one. In our world right now, of this divided, angry scene that we're in. I hadn't noticed. What are you talking about? <laughs> you did watch the news? Uh, it just seems like that, that, you know, I guess Jesus may have had it right in terms of if you want him to know that you're my disciples by your love for one another. Because it seems like in this day and age, the contrast between that and what, what we've got yeah. is pretty stark. It's very stark. Yeah, the world is moving into a place, or at least our culture is moving to a place where it's almost as unity only in agreement. Right. And and actually, that's not the, the Christian view of unity whatsoever. It's this right. idea of oneness. You know, in the Hebrew, it's this word echad, which is like a symphony or a choir or a team. Many parts can come as one. Yeah. Uh, they don't diminish themselves. They don't melt. They But they create something new in their oneness, right? I think only Jesus' people have, have access to this in a yeah. way that our culture does not. And right. we need to lean hard and, like you said, in love. It's, love. it's not that the world's going to know you're my disciples by your T-shirts or even by your politics right. or by your ideologies. Right. But how about the ability to love an enemy? That's this profound right. Jesus idea. We ought to try right. it out. Right. I, I, I read the other day, I, I knew love your enemy was in there. <laughs> But I didn't know was it says, and if your enemy, basically if your enemy asks you for money, give it to him and don't expect it back. Right. Yeah, <laughs> you ask for your shirt, give him your coat. Say thank you very much. Because what, what would that do? What would that do? What would that do? If someone comes right. to throw a blow at you, you, know, you absorb it. Right. What yeah. does that do? Yeah, we need this, don't we? Yeah, we do. Yeah. That's where we, one of my big hearts, Westmont in this role, is I, I want our students to recapture Jesus as teacher. Not just as Lord, not like we just needed him for the last six hours of his life, but actually as teacher for life. Right. This is how life in the kingdom goes. Yeah, that's beautiful. Yeah. I was going to ask you before that about millennials. Yeah. So millennials are, I don't know what the age that means, but I've heard the term. A lot of jokes, a lot of parodies, yeah. Facebook. You've worked with young people mm -hmm. for quite a while. Yeah. What would you say, um, in terms of what you've learned about young people today, the the good things, the challenges, the technology, the social media? You know, yeah. what's God's, for example, I was thinking about this the other day, what's God's highest and best use for social media? You know, what, but could you comment on yeah. just, cause, since you've spent so much yeah. time in that world? Yeah. Well, the first thing I learned after working with young people for 30 years is if you want to stay young, work with young people. If you want to die young, try to keep up with them. So I've <laughs> blown out my knee, broken my ankle. This is a fake tooth, but, you know, <laughs> whatever. Uh, I, I mean, I am not just being nice. I continue to learn a lot from being with young people. And, mm -hmm. yes, there are things that every generation has right. to the demons that or principalities and powers that they have to wrestle we had them right they they have right. them right and it's somehow we have perfect 2020 vision on theirs and not so much ours, ours. Right? right and we forget the fact that by the way we raised this generation but right. that aside <laughs> right. you know setting that aside yeah, <laughs> right. put them in helmets after they came out of the womb um 
But so there, there are things that I'm, I'm really excited about in, in a, a sense of mission that's holistic, um, a desire for authentic, mm-hmm. um, not, it, not enraptured with glossy, mm-hmm. uh, but looking for real. Right. And that makes sense, right? They've seen everything fail. Banks, <laughs> presidents, politicians, right. pastors, preachers, teachers, right. the, the church, whatever. They've seen it all fail. Mm-hmm. So I think, yeah, this this idea of looking for real, it makes sense. Yeah, we're not wearing makeup, by the way. No, we're not. Right, we're keeping yeah, actually, it real. Actually, I'm an albino. Um, <laughs> but, uh, <laughs> they, but there's also, I think, you know, we see this huge spike in anxiety and depression yep. the year that uh, smartphones became predominant. Oh. And that's obviously connected. There's lots of other things, but this fear of missing out this bullying, this constant sense of measuring your uh, value by how many people are paying attention to the, this faux life that you're presenting. Right. That's a tough go. Right. And I even think of being, you know, in a conversation like this, where we both probably have smartphones in our pockets, and if one buzzes, then that means somebody else, something else is going on. You didn't, you and I didn't grow up with that. Right. It's a tough way, you know, it's right. literally changing attention spans, right. abilities to sit and read for long periods of time. Right. I think we'll see a corrective. I think we're already seeing some of it. People sort of, you know, making Luddite vows to, you know, Put get rid of some, some stuff. Right. Uh, but I think that's a distinct thing they're wrestling with. Right. And they're craving authentic. Uh, An actual real connection, not yeah. the fake social connection. Right. Um, but don't always know how to get there. I've had some conversations right. with college students, sincere, looking me in the eyes, saying, I don't know how to hold a conversation. And that's, that makes sense. Yeah. Wow. Yeah, I, I feel like, uh, and I think you make a good point. We talk about, oh, technology, this is all different. This is a, there's challenges, right. but every generation has challenges. Right. And it's not something to be afraid of. I mean, I think that, yeah. We need to figure out how to navigate and how to, you know, navigate it. Yeah. But it's but there's nothing new under the sun in terms of every generation has their challenges. Right. And maybe it's the Santa Cruz in me, but I think you know, question everything. You know, question is right. it a, is it a great idea to have this device when you're 11? Right. You know, is this right. uh, how right. do I what does this do to my relationships? Everything right. has a consequence. A lot of them unintended. It's all worth questioning. Right. And this is where I think. I think that faith should make us be willing to live counterculturally in some ways. And I'm still trying to figure out what that means with technology. Yeah. I, I, I don't think I've wrapped my mind around it. Yeah. I think when I think about technology and social media, I think about I want to be a light. Yeah. I want to bless and encourage other people yeah. and share good news that hopefully blesses somebody. But I don't want to be fake. Right. But I also am not going to put my dirty laundry out there and say, "Let me tell you about my failing today." You yeah. know, it's a tricky. I think about doing a whole year of just me at my, my worst moments. You know, right? Here's me with the flu. You know, <laughs> <laughs> just to keep it real. Here's me with the flu. <laughs> right? Yeah. So it's an interesting one. Yeah. I mean, the only the only counsel I've, I've given my kids and thought about for myself is to use it to bless and not curse. Yeah. I haven't seen yet 
a political fight get solved on Facebook in the messaging. No, still waiting. Still, still waiting. For that. I yeah. think we're at like 0 for 17 million. 0 for 17 million. <laughs> but, yeah. But, so it, it does become a great opportunity to talk with young people about, and anybody now, uh, myself included, about being mastered by nothing. What, you know, what, what does it mean to have Jesus be your master, but not even the immediacy of needing to respond, the immediacy of needing to be available all the time. Right. That's feeding this sort of false self thing too. Right. Like you actually won't die if you don't have your phone on you today. Turns out the universe right. will still spin, you know. <laughs> right. <That laughs> and you may, you may actually breathe deeper. Right. Yeah. It, well, they, yeah, I think it can be wrapped up into the identity of busyness, right. importance, if I check my phone and the little red light's on that I somebody liked my thing, that yeah. what does that do for yeah. me? It's a weird kind yeah. of deal. But I don't it, think we're going to solve this today. No, no. In fact, I, I need to check my post. <laughs> <laughs> I sure like it, though, when I'm searching and studying for a message, you know. I can Google. Google everything. Right, yeah. right. This, we're calling this program Good Life, not the good life like mm. cars and no sickness but good life yeah. like what is the good life Dallas Willard I think talks a lot about you know what is the good life that's yeah. what everybody's how would you talk about what the good life what the good life is yeah. truly yeah not this glossy inauthentic yeah. stuff we've been talking about but talk about that from your perspective and what is the good life yeah well, and isn't it great to ask this question in, in the center of, you know, Santa Barbara, which is a beautiful place, a wealthy place, all this stuff. And, you know, I mean, it's very tempting to believe that this right here right now is, is the good life, right? right. Uh, I got to study with Dallas uh, when I was Did doing you? my doctoral stuff, and that was one of the great privileges of my life. And um, kicking this topic around and being shaped by him has been very wow. important in my life. Um, I think of it this way. I think we're disintegrated people. Like our what we think doesn't match what our passions are, what our appetites are, what we do and where we go and all this stuff. And I think that the gospel wants to line us up and become integrated people. And I think that the plumb line is the love of God, the love for God, and the love for our neighbor. And so, and you see that in the Shema, it's a very, very old Hebrew idea. You see Jesus reaffirm this in the New Testament. This is the greatest thing. It's the most important thing. Everything else hangs on this. Love God, love your neighbor. So I, I actually think the good life is when more and more of our parts become lined up and influenced and driven by and infused with the love of God, the love for God, and the love for our neighbor. Hmm. As that hits my pocketbook, that's the good life. As that hits my time and my availability, that's the good life. Mm -hmm. As that hits my thoughts, my perceptions of, of you and my neighbor and people that are nothing like me, that's the good life. Right. It's when I'm being actually, I want to write a book called Becoming Love. I, that This idea that that's the good life. And it's interesting that all the mystics get all mystical and they come back to this very central idea. It's mm. about it's about love. It's about yeah. the love of God and love for our neighbor. And that that process of your that you were describing, you're talking about when that comes to my pocketbook, when that comes yeah. to my mirror, that's the kingdom that's coming. It. That's it. Right. Dallas would say the kingdom of God is the effective rule and reign of God's will. Wherever what God wants done is done. That's that's, that's the, the kingdom. kingdom of God. Right. So as the kingdom comes to my appetites and comes right. to my sexuality and comes to my thoughts and 
Right. That's that's the kingdom. The rule and reign. Yeah. Since we're on Dallas Willard quotes, uh, you know, I always think about when he says, you know, the the pervasive joy, joy this pervasive sense of well-being yeah. that everything is okay. Yeah. And he yeah. would say, not it's going to be okay. Yeah. And I and he, and he even talked about, you know, toward the end of his life, he says, I don't even think I'm really going to notice. Or he yeah. says, Did you I wonder how long it's going to take for me to notice that I'm gone. <laughs> Isn't that great? I thought that was a problem. Yeah. I had for to me watch about that. a split second. Yeah, <laughs> right. But he, he did. He talked about that. Yeah. He said, "You know, I don't even know if it's going to be that big of a shift." And 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 he and him talking about that pervasive yeah. sense of well-being yeah. that everything is okay. Yeah. yeah. And we live. I, th- I mean, ninety-eight percent, and and I struggle with it too. We tend to live when this happens, yeah. when that happens, when, if the diagnosis changes, yeah. the money changes, the job, then. Yeah. Yeah. But what would it be like to live in the way in the kingdom of God with that pervasive sense of well-being that where yes. the kingdom has come and everything's okay? Yeah. yeah. That's incredible. Yeah. When we start to define good like God does, like the, the nearness of God is my good, Psalm 73 says, or... Mm. Even Romans 8, 28 and 29, we, we usually know 28, you know, for those who love God and are called according to his purposes, he causes all things to work together for good. And we stop there. And if you were to ask me, you know, how was your day? Well, I'd say it was good if it was convenient for me, easy, without hassle. Bad if I had hassle, inconvenient. But 29, he says, and this is how I'm going to define good. You know, whoever uh, gets shaped into the image of Christ. Mm. He's always had a predestiny for us to become Christ-like. formed like Christ. Yeah. Um, and I think that's being shaped by the love of God and for God and for our neighbor. And we see it in him. Yeah. And uh, it sounds like good news to me. It's great news. Yeah. It's great news. So whoever's watching out there, this is great news. It's good news. You should try it on. <laughs> I'm trying it on. <laughs> <laughs> to wrap it up, in terms of your spiritual pilgrimage, your walk, mm. What does your day look like? Like, what does your morning look like? Yeah. How, what disciplines, what routines or not routines? Or tell, just tell me, I'm just curious about that. Yeah. Well, when I was studying with Dallas, he is a bunch of pastors he's speaking to. He says, you guys all have a spiritual plan, right? And I mean, we all just looked at our shoes. <laughs> it was just crickets, like a spiritual plan. Do you know what a spiritual plan is? I don't know. And he talked about, you know, you don't just lapse into faithfulness or be, be conformed by the into the image of God or by accident becoming by you know love by accident. Yeah. And so it's this idea of how do you employ these spiritual disciplines to to help you become what you are intended to be. And as I get older, the more and more I, I try to carve out more and more of a morning where there is you know nobody except Jesus and Jamie. Uh, and Jamie and I together seeking Jesus, and that has been transformative. So yeah. I try to carve out a good chunk of morning of reading and praying, because yeah. uh, I need it. Uh, it's yeah. not because I'm holy. Uh, no, spiritual disciplines are not about holiness right. as much as they are about wisdom. I need to be remade every day, at least. Yeah. Uh, there's a great George McDonald quote: "We who would be born again, indeed, must be awaken our souls unnumbered times a day." Hmm. So I set my phone. To remind me of the daily office, I, that doesn't always mean that I then go to the app and read through the office. But sometimes it's just a, I'm in the middle of a meeting, I see it, and I and I just try to remember I'm in the Lord's presence. He's totally here and available, and let's go. Yeah. Um, so there, there's that thing. 
Um, there are some other things I, you know, I'll set goals or plan for the year at a time. It might yeah. be, you know, try to, I try to do a retreat alone at a retreat center in Denver with a spiritual director once a year. It's kind of saved my life the last four or five summers. Um, really? Yeah. And, you know, and different seasons, different disciplines. Yeah. So. That's great. Yeah. I, yeah, I, I'm with you. On, I, I really feel like I can't start my day anymore without some time. Yeah. Yeah. And if I've got an early thing, then I'm just gotta get up earlier. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. Like I'm I really can't. bad news for the world if I don't. <laughs> right. That turns out we don't want to turn ourselves <laughs> loose on the world without no, that. I'm trying to protect y'all. <laughs> <laughs> thank you, Scott. Thank you. Great to be with you. It's great. Thanks. Nice Thanks for watching. We'll see you next time. Awesome. I like your socks, by the way. Thank you. Thank you. <laughs> Did we get those? <laughs> <laughs> you gotta put that in. <laughs>